This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Holy Spirit, that is our prayer, that you would fill us with the knowledge of you, that you would point us to Jesus, that he might be beautiful and lifted high in our hearts and in our minds, that we might walk in his ways, exalt his name, and know his joy. That's our prayer. Speak to us, please, we invite you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, let's welcome our third service and say hi to them. Thank them for joining us. Third service, we love you. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms there as well. I was uh, reading this week and I came across the story of three young men, or maybe a little bit older than younger, but their mom was um, growing old and they had a sort of contest going on to get their mom the best Mother's Day present. The first son, and all of the sons were fairly wealthy, the first son got his mom a big house. Just, hey, anybody looking for a gift, uh, you know, I'd suggest that. Second son uh, gave his mom a Mercedes Benz. And the third son gave his mom a different gift. Uh, the third son gave his mom a parrot. And this parrot wasn't just any normal parrot. In fact, this parrot cost $100,000 a year for 10 years. And this son committed to pay for this parrot because he wanted his mom to have it so badly. This parrot had been trained by 20 monks over the course of 12 years to have memorized the entire scripture. So all he had to do, this, or all the mom had to do was to give a verse to her parrot, and he would spit out the citation, word for word. Well, soon after the mom got all these gifts from her kids, she wrote them back. And she wrote to her first son, and she said, Michael, the house you built me is too large. I live in only one room, but I have to clean the whole house. She wrote to the second son, Marvin, I'm nearly blind, so I can't drive. I stay home all the time, so I never use the Mercedes. The third son, dearest Melvin, she wrote, you are the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. I saw a movie this weekend that reminded me why we celebrate Mother's Day, why we try so hard to find that perfect gift for the people in our life who either are mothers or for the mothers, mother of our kids, and, and why we try so hard. The movie is called Noble. It was a movie, is a movie, about a woman named Christina Noble. She was born in Ireland and grew up, had a hard childhood growing up, her Father or her mother died at the age of 10 and her father was absent and or abusive, depending on the season of life. She had a dream early on that she was going to make an impact on children in Vietnam. And the Lord led her uh, through a series of events to actually move there, not knowing how she would make a difference. But this woman, you can Google her and look her up. She's a real person, has a real foundation today, has influenced over 700,000 kids in Vietnam and Mongolia. She has over 100 homes for children in Vietnam and Mongolia. I thought about that this weekend. 
as I was wrestling with what is this, what does it look like to well say thank you back to moms, but but why do we have this day? And in many ways, she epitomizes why we celebrate moms. Why we celebrate mothers? Because they give sacrificially, because they serve so well, oftentimes without being noticed or thanked. Because they protect, because they nurture, because they persevere, because they often don't take no for an answer, and we hate that for a season, and then we look back and say thank you eventually. And I thought, man, she, she epitomizes this so well. She refuses to give up on these kids that she meets along the streets. And I thought, wow, what a, what a picture of what it looks like to be a mom that's celebrated for the reason that we do celebrate moms. But like I said at the beginning of our time together, I, I never want us to just celebrate moms on Mother's Day. No offense, I'll say the same thing on Father's Day. Moms are great. We love them. They're wonderful, but ultimately we want to celebrate Jesus and recognize that the people in our life are a gift from him, a really good gift, but we don't want to forget the giver in the midst of the gifts. And really, really, moms who we appreciate and look back at and say thank you for are simply living out the invitation of Jesus. If you have a Bible, will you turn to Mark chapter 9 with me? Mark chapter 9, and we're going to pick up the story of Jesus' interaction with his disciples as he's beginning to walk towards Jerusalem and to his cross. This is what Mark records for us, beginning in verse 33 of Mark chapter 9. It says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked asked them, the disciples, what were you discussing on the way? So the scene is that Jesus and his disciples were all walking. They'd either gotten out in front or behind, and they were having a conversation that Jesus wasn't privy to. He, he couldn't hear what they were saying. But how many of you know that, that Jesus is never out of earshot? Anyone? Okay, they're going to learn this lesson. Very valuable lesson. <laughs> What were you discussing along the way? My guess is he folds his arms and smirks a little bit. Just because we try to read the, the personality of Jesus out of the Bible a little bit, let's try to put it back in. And he says, hey, so what, what was that you were talking about again? <laughs> but they kept silent. That's one of the wisest things they've done, okay? They kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, you have to recognize the comedy in this discussion. They have seen Jesus heal the blind. He spits in, in, uh, in the mud and wipes it on somebody's eyes, and they walk away seeing. Pretty miraculous. He's done the moonwalk across the Sea of Galilee. He has risen people who've been lame since birth. He's grabbed their hand and they walked away. And the disciples are having a conversation about which one of them is the most awesome. Wow. Wow. And here's what Jesus says back. Here's how Jesus answers their non-answer. He says, And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If any of you would be first, he must be last of all. And servant of all. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I read the scriptures and I go, Jesus is crazy. 
I mean, if we were to really try to live that out, we would get run over in our workplaces. We would get trampled in our families. We would, I mean, in my list in my head goes on and on to say, if, if you really want to be first, you've actually got to be last. Are you kidding me? Does that actually really work? Has that worked for anyone? Well, just so happens we're reading about a homeless man that lived 2,000 years ago, didn't travel too many miles from his hometown, and yet every single person nearly across the face of the globe knows his name. So let me ask you again, has that worked for anyone? Well, it seemed to work pretty well for the king of kings. And so when we read a passage of scripture like this, we have to wrestle with not just the theological um, discussion of what does this passage mean, but we have to wrestle too with, am I willing to believe Jesus enough to actually live it out? Here's my proposal. If we were to actually live this out, I don't think we'd have as many questions about it. I think we would be willing to say back to Jesus, you know what, you were onto something there. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. They wanted to be first, the disciples did. That, that, that word, um, literally, we, we could say that, that it means to have importance. They wanted to be looked up to. They wanted to have power. They wanted to have influence. They wanted to live a life that would be remembered. My guess is, every single person in this room goes, well, well, I sort of want those same things. Does that mean I'm in trouble? I mean, is Jesus going to tell me to empty myself of the desire to be first, to have influence, to have power, to make a difference, to have purpose in my life? Actually, not at all. Jesus is going to say, yes and amen. It's exactly why you were created. God's woven that into your DNA. Something inside of you and your very soul speaks to that desire to want to change the world. That's a good thing. In fact, Jesus is going to go so far as to say, not only is that not a bad thing, but he's going to teach you how to get it. He's going to teach you how to step into this way of being, this way of living. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that little bulletin that you got when you walked in. There's a pen on the seat back in front of you. And I want you to write down for me. Write down right now, who's the most influential person in your life, in your whole life? Who's the person that you've learned the most from? Who's the person whose words you would respect maybe the most? Who's shaped you? Who's molded you? Who, who's made you into the person that you are today? Who's that person for you? Okay. Now, now, by show of hands, I, I want you to, if you wrote down like, the president of the United States or any previous president, governmental leader, somebody like that in a high position, will you just raise your hand? Interesting. Okay, if you, if you wrote down uh, a prominent athlete who played to the glory of God, or um, uh, an author, or a writer, or an actor, or someone who's like a, the best stylist, whatever world you live in, the famous people in your world, will you just, will you raise your hand You're, if you wrote down them? Okay, we got, we got one. Okay, 
interesting one. I'm going to chalk that up. If you wrote down um, a friend, a mentor, a teacher, someone who, who's not related to you, but, but a friend of yours, someone who built into you, will you raise your hand? Okay. Right. If you wrote down a family member, will you raise your hand? Maybe mom, dad. Okay, now keep them up for a second. Keep them up. You just look around for a moment. Because here's what we're telling each other. What we're telling each other is that the people who hold the positions of power and have the most prominence don't always impact our lives the most. It's really interesting. And I bet if you were to go back and you were to look at what was it about that person or those people who influenced you, the person that you wrote down and said, this person has shaped my life more than any person that I've met, my guess is they were going to be or are people who have served you the best, who didn't give up on you, who had a kind word when you were down and out, who walked with you, who pointed you to Jesus, people who you love because they gave themselves for you. So when Jesus says the, the first will be last and the last will be first, maybe he's on to something. Maybe he's on to something. Maybe he's giving us a very real principle for the way that the world operates. Sure, we attach the great to names like Alexander because he conquered most of the known world by the age of 33. We attach the great to names like Ivan because he um, tripled the size of Russia under his reign. We attach the great to people like Herod because he built buildings that were just absolutely beautiful, ornate, and massive, and he built tons of them. We attach the great to fighters like Muhammad Ali. We attach the great to a lot of things. But in our lives, we attach the great to people who serve us to people who love us, to people who build into us. See, the greats in my life are Tina the Great. You've probably never heard of her, but she was an amazing mom. Kelly the Great, because she serves our kids so well, and I just saved four ninety nine on a Hallmark card. I mean, she... Here's what Jesus says, though. Here's what Jesus says. Servanthood. Not the position you hold and not the prominence that you think you have and not how many people have your names have your name in lights and their but but servanthood is actually the way to influence. And our desire to be first so much of the time often robs us of our ability to have a true, meaningful, lasting impact on the lives of the people around us. Can I say it as clearly as I can to you this morning? If serving is below you, then influence is beyond you. Because the way that you step into influence and the way that you step into making a difference in the lives of the people around you is not determined by the position that you hold, but it's determined by the position of lowering yourself and being willing to serve that you take. And see, Jesus doesn't want to rob you of your ability to be influential and to be quote-unquote powerful. He wants to reframe for you the road that you walk in order to get there. 
See, my guess is for every single one of us, the people that have influenced us the most are the people who have served us the best. And if you were to get them sort of just one-on-one and ask them, how did that play out for you? My guess is that to a person they would say, there were moments when it was difficult, but on the whole, it was an absolute joy. It was an absolute joy because I lived in the way that God designed me to live. I love the way that Booker T. Washington puts it when he says this. He said, those who are happiest are those who do the most for others. Uh, As if to say, well, the last, (laughs) they're actually the first. The, The people who are servants of all actually walk in the most joy of anybody you will meet. What might this look like, friend? What might this look like in your work life? If you were to work for the good of other people, to leverage whatever power, whatever influence you have for others to be elevated, what might it look like? I'll tell you, I can tell you, what, here's what it would look like. You would be an invaluable part of your team. That's what it would look like. What would it look like in your family? To say, there's no job that's beyond me. I'm willing to step into that, and I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to serve, and I'm willing to love. Even when I'm worn out, and I'm tired, and I haven't gotten the recognition that I want, I'm still willing to go there. What might that look like? I think it might look like somebody writing your name down in a sermon in 30 years. (laughs) That's what it would look like. See, we have this tendency to think that Power and position are the things that determine influence, but they're not. We know, we, we just demonstrated they're not. The thing that determines the impact you have on other human beings is the way that you serve them. So if you have a Bible, turn over to John chapter 13, because I want to give you a picture of this. I want to give you a picture of this. Jesus, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, he got his disciples, his friends together in this room, and they were celebrating the Passover feast together. And um, the time came uh, for the meal to sort of start winding down. And Jesus gets up from the table, and he takes off his outer coat, and he um, ties, uh, puts a towel over his arm, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, contextually, in their culture, this was a job for the lowest of the lowest servant. I mean, the person that was the lowest on the totem pole, it was their job to wash people's feet when they walked in from a long day of either working in a field or walking a dirt path. It was a nasty job. It was left for those folks who were the lowest of the low. And Jesus, on his way to die for his disciples' sins, notices nobody's done this. And he gets up from the meal And he begins to wash his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Follow along with me. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. 
And he's gonna come to Simon, Peter, and Peter's gonna put his foot in his mouth like he normally does and say, come on, Jesus, no way. There's no way that you're gonna wash my feet. And Simon just simply says what everybody else is thinking because this is the lowest of the low and the king of kings who's lowering himself to fulfill this role. Well, Jesus washes all of the disciples' feet, and at the very end, he says to his disciples, and he'll say to us this morning, I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, here's my problem. My problem isn't understanding the words of Jesus. My problem isn't parsing the verbs and understanding in the original language what they mean. I mean, we can look at it and go, well, Jesus said the first will be last and the last shall be first. It's not rocket science. My problem is his invitation to actually live them out. To actually put the towel over my arm, to lower myself, and to sacrificially, maybe without notice, and maybe without recognition, and maybe without applause, actually live out the words of Jesus. That's my problem. Maybe, maybe yours too. What's really interesting about this passage that I think is probably the best description or picture that we see in the scriptures of serving is that John gives us this little verse of chapter 13, verse 3, that I think is the key to how we step into not just knowing the words of Jesus, but walking in the way of Jesus. Will you look at that verse again with me? Because here's what he says. Here's what he says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. So all of these things in verse three lead him to get up from the dinner that he's at to lower himself and to serve the people around him. And you see, friend, if we're ever gonna walk in the way of Jesus, we need to believe the things of Jesus because we can't just go out of here trying harder we need to believe what Jesus believed if we're going to walk in the way that Jesus walked and if we're going to have the joy that Jesus had. So I want to unpack for you just in the few minutes we have remaining. What are the things that Jesus believes that allows him to walk into the way of servanthood, which is the pathway to influence? And what must we believe to take this same journey? Look at this verse with me, verse 3 again. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So he's willing to lower himself. He's willing to take on the role of the servant because he's absolutely, ruthlessly, radically convinced of the power that's in his fingertips. I'll say it this way. Jesus doesn't have anything to prove. Therefore, he's able to serve. So here's the first thing we see. Three things we need to know. One, the authority that God has given to us. Did you know, friend, that he has wired you uniquely, he has gifted you specifically, and he has placed you divinely? You are who you are, and you are where you are because he had a hand in 
Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are gifted. You bring gifts to this body and to your family that are designed to build them up. And the longer we feel like we have something to prove, the more time it will take for us to actually be able to serve and to lower ourselves and to really truly invest and make an impact in the lives of others. Only people who are secure in what they have and who they are are able to lower themselves to be a servant. If I have something to prove, I do not have a platform to serve. Because all of my service will be about me. It'll be about that void in my soul that cries out and says, either you're not enough or you don't have enough, or maybe if you do this, then people will think whatever of you. And that'll, you can serve for a short amount of time on that. You can't serve for a lifetime on that. You'll start to get bitter. You'll start to wonder why you're not getting noticed. You'll start to wonder when somebody's going to pay you back, right? Because it's that lack inside of us. It's that hole inside of us that says, oh, I need you to fill me. I need you to tell me that I'm awesome because I really don't believe that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has spoken a good word over my life. See, you can only serve people if you're confident in what you have. If you're not confident, you will serve in order to get. That's not the way that Jesus teaches his followers to live. You and I have all been around that guy, haven't we, at a party or at work where you tell a story and they have a better story automatically, right? I mean, they're the guy that walked on the moon, aren't they? Since it's a trump card, they play it whenever. Yeah, I mean, We've been around that person. That, I, I bet you didn't write his name down. Like, ah, I got changed my life because he's so amazing. No, people that are that amazing don't need to tell you. And they're the people that are able to actually serve you. L- listen to the way that Eugene Peterson translates this great passage in Philippians chapter 2, talking about Jesus. This is a translation of the scriptures, paraphrase of the scriptures called the message. He says, think of yourselves the way that Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus thought of himself, which, I mean, that, that's a great goal, is it not? So we're supposed to think of ourselves in the same way. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status. Think of yourself that way. Think of yourself in the same way, that God's gifted you, that he's empowered you, that he's equipped you, that he's placed you uniquely and designed you specifically. And when you believe that, you won't need to cling to the advantages of the status you have. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became What might it look like for you to be so convinced the spirit of God lives in me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead abides in me. I walk with him, I'm known by him, and I'm loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When that gets in us, we're able to lower ourselves and serve the people around us well. Here's what he continues to say. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, so the authority and that he'd come from God. Here's the next thing he tells us. Jesus knows where he came from. He doesn't only know know the power that's at hand, but he knows who he is. He doesn't need people to tell him who he is. He's confident 
that God is his father. So not only does authority need to be in place, the fact that we can have an influence and we are gifted by the king, but the fact that we are sons and daughters of the most high. It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we live. I will never lower myself to serve if I feel like I need to defend myself and define myself by what I produce and do. Never will. If that identity piece isn't solid in me, there's no way I can live in the way of Jesus. I read a story this week. Muhammad Ali got onto an airplane, and uh, one of the stewardesses, one of the flight attendants came to him and said, "Uh, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he flat out refused, just wanted to assert his dominance and he said, There's, I'm not going to buckle my seatbelt. And she came back to him and said, uh, Mr. Ali, I'm going to ask you one more time. Uh, we're going to have to remove you from the airplane if you're not willing to buckle your seatbelt. And he responded, I quote, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looked back at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. I think we run into this issue as just as people in general. We can either think too much of ourselves, and that's arrogance and pride, or we can think too little of ourselves, and that's also arrogance and pride. Okay? It just is. To say, Jesus can forgive everybody else's sins except mine, that's just a sick form of pride. That's all that is. To say I'm amazing and I'm great is also pride, but they're both the same thing. And this pendulum swings, I don't know if it does in you, it does in me, from from I'm worthless to I'm amazing. And what Jesus wants us to do is simply have an identity that's grounded in him. See, the reason that the enemy goes after Jesus so strongly in the desert by trying to erode his identity is he knows if I erode his identity, I can derail his mission. So listen to what the enemy says to Jesus in the desert. If you are the son of God. So he's planting seeds, right? For Jesus to step back and go, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not. And Jesus doesn't give in. He doesn't allow the enemy to erode his identity. Therefore, he doesn't allow the enemy to derail his mission. Will you look up at me for a moment? He wants to do the same thing with you. He wants to erode your identity. So he can derail your mission. So let me speak identity over your life for just a moment. The scriptures say that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Your guilt and your shame are not your identity anymore. You're under the name of Jesus. The scriptures say very clearly that you are a son or daughter of the king. Your name is engraved on the palm of his hands. He sings over you. He speaks love over you. He's good to you. So here's the thing, friend. Here's the thing. If your identity is solidified in Jesus, no need to wear masks, right? We can be honest with one another. Our joys and our sorrows, our victory and our failures. We can be honest with one another if he's the one speaking our identity over us because our production and our output doesn't define us anymore. If we're children of the most high God, we don't need to earn anything. We have access to our father, a king of kings and lord of lords at any moment. Listen, my kids get my time whenever they want it. When I'm home and they run to me, daddy, let's play basketball. Even if I'm tired, well, sometimes I'll say, let me get a drink first. I just stepped in. But, all right, let's do this. 
Let's do this. God's the same way. Our God is the same way. And when you know who you are, you have a deep and abiding sense of purpose. Do you know what you have? Do you know who you are? When these building blocks are in place, you're actually able to serve the people around you and point them to the Jesus who died for him. Finally, here's what John says. So not only the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God, so this is the identity piece, but finally, that he was going back to God. Authority, identity, destiny. These are the building blocks of a life of service. If I feel like my perspective on life is I need to get every little last bit out of it, I will never be willing to take up the towel, lower myself, and serve the people around me. I won't. My wife, Kelly, and I, we love to go out for sushi, and um, I love to go out for all-you-can-eat sushi. I happen to be a little bit competitive also, so I know how much it costs for all-you-can-eat sushi, and I also know how much each roll costs. And you better believe I'm not getting the short end of that stick, right? So we sit down to dinner, and it starts out nice and friendly, and it's like, let's just, you know, get what we want, and then competitive Ryan kicks in, and I think, no way they're going to get the better end of the deal, right? So I'm like, keep the rolls coming. And as we do that, and you get charged now for, for the rolls that you leave on the plate, so I'm like, oh, heck no, I'm not going out like that. I'm, I am pounding sushi, and every time we go out to All You Can Eat Sushi, at the end of the meal, I sit back, and I ask the exact same question. Why did we do that to ourselves? And then we, I walk out like, oh, man. You know, like all I can do is go sit in a movie. That's it. That's all I can do. And I think a lot of us treat life the same way, where we have this short little window to do as much as we can, to earn as much as we can, to be as much as we can. What might it look like if we really firmly believed that our destiny was kingdom of God, resurrected bodies with Jesus, enjoying him face to face, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Maybe we'd be able to step back away from the buffet and go, this is maybe just crazy. And if he has eternal destiny purchased already for us, maybe, just maybe, we can take the time to put the towel over our arm to encourage people who maybe are down and out, to speak life into people that are crawling along, to have a conversation with somebody that we don't feel like having. Maybe we can really serve if we believe, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, that these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So he wants to keep in front of him glory, eternity, life with Jesus face to face. And when you know it, you're able to step into the goodness and plan of God. It's really interesting that Mark chapter 9, the text we started in this morning, ends like this. And he, Jesus, he sat down, he called the 12, and he said to him, If any of you would be first, he must be last and the servant of all. And then he took a child, as if like, all right, let's just, we're just going to test this out on somebody. And he grabs this little, snotty-nosed kid. You can only assume, because they didn't have Kleenexes, okay? So, 
And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives me, uh, whoever receive, receives one child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not only me, but the one who sent me. It's interesting that his application point for the first will be last and the last will be first. If you want to be first, you must be the servant of all. And then he takes a child, puts him in the middle, and says, it's the ones who love these that live this out. It's the ones who care for these kids that live this out. It's the ones who teach. It's the ones who nurture. It's the ones who protect. It's the ones who provide for. It's the ones who say, my life is worth investing in these little ones. They live this out. And I started to think, who better lives out this beautiful principle of Jesus that the last, that they're going to be the first. And the first, they're going to be the last. And if you really want to influence people, serve people. See, see here's what Jesus is saying. When we, when we choose to love, we change the world. And I think the people I know who do that best are moms. Are moms. And this isn't about elevating moms. This is about elevating Jesus. But in them, we see what our Savior modeled at that dinner and on his cross. And so I just want to end our time together by saying thank you. Thank you to the moms in this room who in many ways make the world go round. And and like I said, I know this is a, a, a deeply painful day for some who long to be moms and aren't, who have lost kids. This, this day is a reminder. And we mourn with you. We step into that with you. We do. And we also celebrate with those who celebrate. And what I want to do is I want to invite all the women, not just the moms, but the women around the room to stand up because you really embody and live out this idea that Jesus taught his disciples. Stand up right now, please. He says this, for even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom as, uh, for many. And as a thank you, our kids are gonna, our students are gonna come forward, high school, middle school students, and they're gonna give every woman standing a a packet of seeds. And once you get yours, will you um, sit down? But it's a thank you from us at South for the way that you help people grow. It's a thank you for the way that you serve so well. It's a thank you for the way that you, by serving influence and have power, in the lives of not only the next generation, but everyone around you. It's a thank you. Will you look up at me for a second for the way that you lead, for the way that you lead by giving of yourselves in the same way that Jesus did. See, it's possible. It's possible that servants have the highest place because this is where God has been all along, giving his life away for people walking with them and pointing them to his love. Thank you for the way that you do that so well. Yep, run right there. Emily, right there, yeah. I don't, oh, got one, okay, great. Sorry, call you out. Would you stand with me, friends, as we close our time together with one last song? To all the moms out there, to the women out there who nurture and love and serve so well, 
the rest of us guys, we say thank you. And to the Jesus who taught you how to do that by modeling it, giving his very life as a ransom for our sins, we say back to him also, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We point to you, author, perfecter of our faith, the one who didn't come to serve or didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May we live in the same way, and may we walk in the same joy. Would you sing our benediction with me? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.